Hey, thank you so much for gathering with us wherever you are and whomever you are with. We have six more opportunities to, to gather in these community groups here at the close of 2020. Uh, if you need help, again, finding or forming a community group, reach out to us, info at lifechurchvirginia.com, and we'll do everything we can to diligently find a place for you uh, to plant and be in a group. Uh, so six more opportunities, again, to lean into it. You know, within these community groups, we've heard lots of wonderful things of people and connecting with one another and, and just the conversations as we've been leaning into six, ultimately six practices uh, that we are trying to encourage ourselves into. We've worked through prayer and meditation, scripture reading this past week in the midst of everything going on in our world. Uh, we encourage people to lean into communion as we preached the, the conversation for, with, and all the covenantal things. And so hopefully you were able to lean into a communion dynamic with friends or family and gather around food and drink and just discuss who Jesus is. Consider the power and effect of the cross in your life. So again, we're, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather in this way. Uh, you know, we're going to read our scriptures again, Matthew 4, uh, Revelation 3, and Romans 12 in a moment. But I just want to speak to, uh, these are not scriptures that I am trying to take out of context. Normally here at Life Church, we'll preach a whole passage, we'll look at a chapter, or we'll look at a swath of scripture. I don't mean to take a little bit here, a little bit there, and put together a thought. There's a thick theme of transformation that I want to draw out, and I'm using these three specific passages, small scriptures, to speak to that. And so, again, I don't mean to take something out of context, but I want to speak to the very present theme that is all throughout the scriptures, the theme of transformation. So let's read our passages together. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, the voice of Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. And Paul writes to the church at Rome, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that you are indeed Emmanuel. You juxtapose your position based on our position. You are with us. You tell us stories, God's stories, that has the Father running out to the prodigal. And so wherever we are right now, we trust you're with us. You have a desire to be nearby. And so, God, we just ask for help in our country. We ask for help in our world very bluntly. We just just speak the name of Jesus, which we believe is above every other name. And so we give you these moments, and we ask that you use them to mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. So here we are continuing. This is part seven of our Imagination and Practice series. And we're going to lean into the last few practices over the course of this calendar year, Sabbathing, Confession, and Lamenting, as well as 
we so appreciate the opportunity that community groups has afforded us. Because when you talk about practicing on a Sunday morning with a corporate gathering, it's easy to hear the teaching, hear the preaching, and then go out and not be affected at all, not really invested. It's a little bit different when you know people are going to look you in the eye and ask you, hey, have you been praying and meditating? Hey, have you been uh, reading scriptures a little bit more? And so the intimacy of our moment and our given season, we believe, offers us a real opportunity for growth, a more practical faith, and we think that's a good thing. Admittedly, when you speak through those practices, confession, scripture reading, prayer and meditation, communion, uh, Sabbath and rest, those are all things that we can kind of wrap our minds around. Lamenting, lamentation, that would be a little bit odd. We don't quite know what to do with it or even what really lamenting is. We're much more comfortable with the vernacular of the other practices, although we may not invest them. We are familiar with them. But lamenting, we don't really have a slot for that. Our day and age, and this great country of ours in particular, we give no value to the act of lamenting. We are a bootstrap culture. No matter what goes on, no matter the storms that we are just going through, pull yourself up, just soldier on. We we live in a culture that can very easily be defined by Tom Hanks' iconic line in A League of Their Own. Are are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying in baseball. And we're not talking about a baseball game, obviously, but in life, are you crying? Are you sad? Are you disappointed? You can't be sad and disappointed. Pick yourself up and move through the storm. This is all complicated. I fully believe a lot is, but this is all complicated too by social media, which normalizes and even celebrates things being shallow, things being vapid. Along with the unhealthy pace of modern life, Lamenting is rarely granted the space that it needs to breathe and to be and really help us do the same. I've talked with people who've lost loved ones, widows, children who lost their their parents. I've talked with people who've lost their jobs and been in a place of, I don't know where this the next meal for my family is going to come from. And just in a place of tragedy and trauma. And lo and behold, they find themselves sad and discouraged and depressed and disappointed. And I'm not against a therapist. We should all have three. (laughs) I'm not against a season of time where we need to take some medicine to help us through a really dark time and a dark season. But if we think that just bootstrapping ourselves or medicating ourselves is going to heal a broken heart or fill the void of a loved one who will never walk through that door again, or help us really just deal with the disappointment of tragedy and trauma, we're fooling ourselves. We're missing out when we miss out on lamenting. Here's the thing, I get it and I'm with you. You may not want to be sad, disappointed, or openly and authentically down, but your soul needs to be, whether you like it or not. Jesus, we believe, is fully God, but he's also our way to go. 
What I mean when I say that is that Jesus doesn't just do things for us. He shows us what we are to do. He shows us the ways and the means. Again, imagination and practice is why we're talking about these things. And we see Jesus, who is fully God, we see him time and again lament. In John chapter 11, he's called to a town because his friend Lazarus has passed. Now understand, Jesus is coming to heal Lazarus. Jesus is coming knowing the end of the story that he's going to get up and walk out of the tomb. And still in John chapter 11, when Jesus saw her, his sister, weeping, the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Other versions would say that he groaned. Later it says, Jesus wept. Jesus Knowing the end is going to be resurrection, knowing there's going to be something beautiful and miraculous, still laments. There's still an acknowledged grief and sadness. He gives space to groan that guttural loss and to weep, to cry. In Matthew chapter 14, we see it as well. As he hears about his cousin's murder, as he hears John the Baptist has been executed, Matthew chapter 14. Jesus finds out they had sent and had John beheaded in prison. Verse 11 of Matthew chapter 14. And his head was brought on a platter given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. Verse 12. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now. When Jesus heard this, verse 13, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. I would submit to you a place of lamentation, a place of lamenting. Even as Jesus hangs on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Church, that's lamenting. The person of Jesus Christ in full display of power and authority laments. He is God, and he gives us a way to go. Additionally, just scientifically, there's a physiological peace experienced by all humanity. After a good cry, come on, we feel better. Crying releases oxytocin, endogenous opioids, otherwise known as endorphins. These feel-good chemicals can help us actually truly help us ease both physical and emotional pain. God has created us to that when we offer into or we invest this practice of lamentation, maybe it's tears and crying or maybe it's not, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but your body actually releases endorphins to help us through the moment. Your your body may go into somewhat of a numb stage. Oxytocin can give you, it actually gives us a sense of calm and of well-being. Ever just feel like you need a good cry? It's probably because you do. So if you're taking notes this morning, the title of our conversation is The Importance of a Good Cry. The Importance of a Good Cry. So what is, I've said this word a few times, lament or lamenting or lamentation. What does it mean to lament? My personal definition is this. Lamenting is the creative act of finding and naming initiates or rhythms of pain, disappointment, and then putting them to the melody of your voice, actually speaking them out, detailing them. It's praying, there's discourse, but it's not towards a better universe as much as it's towards a better you. 
Lamenting is the act of holding pain, being honest with injury, not trying to move on, but really just being with it. And even in the context of being with, we discover the person of God. We discover the presence of Emmanuel, God with. I believe that when we try and move on, we, get, we actually miss out on his presence of wanting to be with. When someone laments, they're not actually asking or necessarily asking for something or someone to change on the outside, but rather purposefully opening themselves up to be changed on the inside. This is why I think many of us don't do this. This is why you don't see a lot of lamenting even in our country of America, because we're not interested in changing on the inside. We want everything to be oriented and changed on the outside with us at the center. I personally have a horrible time with the pain of those around me. I don't like pain around me because honestly, it makes me aware of my own pain. When I start to recognize the disappointment of my wife or the disappointment of kid one, kid two, or kid three, it almost resonates and picks up the tune as a tuning fork would in myself and recognizing that pain and disappointment is cognizant, makes me cognizant of the pain and disappointment in my own life. And I kind of tend to push it away. Of the 150 Psalms, we talk about praise and thanksgiving and all these wonderful things that David writes, the Psalms, many of the Psalms. Of the 150 Psalms, at least 59 of them are Psalms of lament. More than any other topic, wisdom has nine, hymns, 17, praise would be 40. Lament has at least 59. All the writers, as humans, have lots of reasons to lament. David, again, as our focus in this series, pens a good number of lamenting psalms. And when you rifle through the reasons David would have to lament, I mean, the mistreatment from the very beginning when we meet him, he's forgotten and left out in the field by his, his father. He's devalued consistently by his brothers. Saul, his king, attempts to murder him numerous times and maligns him constantly. Samuel, his, his leader and his confidant, dies. David's own child dies at one point. He, another child, Absalom, betrays him and tries to take the kingdom. Uh, David, we know, commits infidelity. We know David murders. He's in constant battles and wars. He has this instance with the Ark of the Covenant where he's bringing it back and he doesn't do it the right way and actually causes the death of a bystander. I mean, David has all kinds of reasons. My, my point is this, that David, even as a man after God's own heart, and yes, he's chosen, and yes, he's anointed, and yes, he's gifted, and yes, he's all these wonderful things, David still navigated a really hard life-altering, traumatic moments and seasons, just like us. And his mode of handling such was through this ancient practice of lamenting. Psalms 6, Psalm 13, Psalm 88, we're going to read at least one of those today. But those were all Psalms of lament written by David. Now, before I get to the actual reading of a psalm of lamentation, I want to speak briefly to the, the anatomy of lamenting. I want to speak to the, first the heart and soul of lamenting. I, I think too often we move into, well, how do I lament? Give me step one, step two, step three. Is there a seminar? Is there a book? Is there a form, an equation? Give me A plus B so I know it's C. And, and that's all important, and we're actually going to get to that. 
but we need to also accept the heart and soul of lamenting. What does it feel like? What does it look like? What does it taste like? And then we'll get to, as I said, the steps of how to lament. So first, the heart and soul. The heart and soul of lamenting, put it like this, visualize gray skies. Feel faded and muted colors, not just a black and white stark darkness, but just everything slightly off. Hear sounds and rhythms like jazz with its fits and starts and explosions and things that you don't expect. Conjure taste in your mouth. It's not awful, not to the point that you want to just spit it out, but that, that it's bitter enough to send that shiver down your spine and your face contorts without you even having to tell it to. Such is the heart and soul of lament. One writer puts it this way. The psalmists pray in vivid terms about their anger and grief. They bring complaints to God about their situation and freely say, God, I don't like this. Why aren't you doing something? But the lament psalms aren't about letting emotions go wild. They are a means of bringing those wild emotions to God himself. When they question God's actions and wonder if he's abandoned them, they are still speaking to him. The act of bringing these emotions, desires, or doubts to God is itself an act of faith. Submission doesn't come in not feeling. It comes in taking our natural feelings and reactions in faith to God. Reverence doesn't come in treating God like an old Victorian aunt. It comes in recognizing him as the source of justice, healing, and comfort. Submission and reverence come as we take our broken reality and place it with a limping, dependent faith at God's feet. Such is the feel, the heart and soul of lament. I'm not here to tell you, hey, let's all lament. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's arduous and it takes some space. So I want to speak to the steps of lamenting. And I want to give you three steps today if you're taking notes. And I'm going to give you the three right off the bat. Step one, acknowledge and name. Step two, be honest and integrous. And step three, embrace God as he is. So let's dig into each of these real briefly this morning. Acknowledge and name. Acknowledge and name. We're talking about lamenting. We're talking about holding the pain. When I say acknowledge and name, I mean we need to do the work to discover what, who, or how we have arrived at this place of pain, disappointment, loss, whatever. You're going to have to make some time. You're going to have to pray and meditate, maybe even on God's word, even read a psalm of lament so you can find that voice. Maybe you're going to have to have some conversations with people and allow them to hear your voice and allow yourself to talk through some things. I know I, one of the biggest places that I initiate or start the acknowledging and naming towards lament is when my wife looks at me and she says, hey, are you okay? When Tanya asks that question, nine times out of ten, it's the first time I wonder, am I okay? <laughs> because she sees it and she's calling it out. And then I have to figure out, wait, am I okay? If she's telling me I'm not okay, I'm probably not. Why am I not okay? Is there pain in my life? Well, there is. Where's it coming from? And it takes a passage of time. But when I acknowledge it, then I can begin to name it. And I can begin to give it its proper due, makes space for it. 
See it as it is. The second piece is be honest and integrous. Let God know what you want, what you think you need. Let me say that again. Let God know what you want, what you think you need. Hold it loosely, but please be honest. Be free to be loud, angry, sad, let down, angry with God. Some of the Psalms of Lamentation in particular, when you read them, you're like, ooh, David, you're, you're pretty rude. I mean, that's, that's like weighty words you're giving to God. Yeah, because he's got a vibrant relationship and he's letting God have it and God's wanting him to pour his heart out. Cast your cares upon me, the scriptures say, because I care for you. And when I say be integrous, I don't mean don't lie, steal. We shouldn't do those things either. But I mean, stay in one piece. When you're lamenting, don't replay the past and don't game play the future over and over and over again. Stay home. Stay where you are in that place of discovering the pain, the loss, the disappointment, the frustration, whatever it is, and just hold it for what it is. Be there in that moment with it and allow God's presence to be there with you. And finally, step three, embrace God as he is. Embrace God as he is, not based on some circumstance or situation, but as he is. Work hard so you end up in the place that trusts God, his goodness, his steadfast love, his enduring presence. Just as I spoke to last week, work to finish in a place where you live covenantally with God not based on circumstances in terms of a contractual relationship where you honestly feel like, God, you let me down and now I'm taking you out of the equation. Understand that covenantal living overcomes circumstances. And again, let me be very honest. These steps and this heart and soul process will most likely not be pretty, but I guarantee you it will be beautiful. Too often, people illustrate and construct this notion that following Jesus is just wonderful, and it's filled with joy and happiness and all the good things. And I'm not suggesting that those things aren't part of the journey, but it's a journey. It's a long haul. And I think more times than not, it is depicted, even as I read earlier, in terms of a limping coming before God accepting who he is and what he has for us, even in the midst of the trials and the tribulations. All of that being said, I do want to take the time and read a psalm of lament. Psalm 13, which is one of the three I mentioned, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He's acknowledging and beginning to name all of the pain and the frustration and the disappointment and the loss that he is going through. Verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's telling God what he thinks he needs. He's asking God to do something on his behalf. And then he closes with this, verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, if you're like me, you're like, David, are you bipolar? Because just a couple verses earlier, you talked about how lonely you were, how you were sleeping the sleep of death, and how where is God? Is he going to show up? I'm having to console myself with my soul. And then here he is landing on, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Such is lament. (laughs) It's a hard place, but it's a place I think we all need to lean into. Imagine, letting yourself hurt does not need to be an indictment of anyone else or any other thing. Imagine, hurting is letting your soul do what it needs to do. I want to remind you of that moment that Jesus learns of Lazarus' death. And in John 11, verse 33, he makes that guttural sound. it, It says he groaned in the spirit. He laments. Imagine feeling pain and disappointment will help position you for healing and enduring joy. As opportunity today, I want to challenge you to begin to try and lament. Read some Psalms of Lamentation. You can Google them. Start with uh, Psalm 6, 13, 88. Familiarize yourself with something that's probably really unfamiliar, an ancient practice of lament. Again, reading those Psalms will help you find your own voice to lament as well. It is a learned practice. Perhaps you can lament in prayer, perhaps in a conversation. Some of you might do well to write it down. Pen your own Psalm of lamentation. Use the steps that I gave you, the three steps to lament. And obviously for our practice this week, I would encourage you to find a place, make a space where you can lament. If you're a human, I think that you'll find a number of reasons to lament. But let me leave you with this benediction today. May we let our souls do what our souls need to do with the guidance of Holy Spirit. May we find healing in the opening of hurting that we have been avoiding as Jesus is finally granted access to us. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.